Welcome to Better World Boston. My name is Sonia Bonapati and I'll be your host. I hope you're doing really well and having a nice September. My apologies for not posting the latter part of the summer in August, but I really had to take a social media holiday for a few weeks and it was so worth it and so relaxing. It's hard to believe it's already fall. And for this episode, I wanted to share a conversation I had with Dave Juddelson of Blue Cell Solar. We actually had solar panels placed on the roof over a year ago, and I've been so impressed with how much energy they're producing. We've actually had a few months now where our electricity bills were zero. I've been so impressed with solar in general. If you think about it, we're just harnessing the energy of the sun. The sun gives us so much already for our planet, and it's amazing that We're able to harness this energy from the sun to provide electricity. It's renewable. And this energy doesn't produce any greenhouse gases or harmful emissions. I hope you really learned something from this episode. It was a nice refresher for me as well when I was speaking with Dave. Also, I wanted to mention that in October, I'll be speaking with a psychiatrist, Dr. Tanisha Choice. She uh, will be talking to us about mental health in general, and she was willing to answer questions that the audience might have. So if you do have any questions, please um, email me. You can use the email betterworldboston at gmail.com, and she will be happy to answer questions from listeners. I hope you enjoy this episode. Take care. Hi, Dave. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in solar? Sure. Uh, thanks, thanks for talking to me about this. I appreciate it, and I'm pretty passionate about solar, so I, I like that opportunity. Um, let's see. I do have an engineering and biology background um, in electrical engineering and general biology and got degrees in that and worked for many years in um, computer consulting but have always been interested in renewable energy and even in college uh, out in California, uh, we did some renewable energy projects. I was, I've always been interested in renewable energy and thought um, it, it was a good path to take. And uh, having done consulting for quite a while, uh, I met on the energy management committee here in town, uh, somebody who was a partner in a solar energy company and they do solar for both uh, residential folks and small commercial. And then they have a different division that does solar for larger commercial projects. And I focus mostly on the residential and small, um, small commercial projects. So that's a quick introduction. Cool. And can you tell us a little bit about solar panels and how do they work? What materials are used to make the panels? Sure. There's a couple different time, uh, kinds, and they're typically silicon, which is sort of like sand. Uh, and they're, there's two kinds of solar power when you think of it, and sometimes people do get confused between them in the sense that uh, a solar hot water system is typically taking the sun, sunlight and heating up a liquid uh, and then using that to heat up water for domestic uh, hot water use. The solar that I'm more involved in is photovoltaic solar. So that sunlight uh, is hitting these uh, silicon panels and there's different uh, designs for them but basically they're converting that into an, a DC electric current, uh, like a battery. And then that current um, is converted to AC, which all households use, uh, and it's synced up to the household to provide energy uh, in the household. 
And I can go into a little bit about Massachusetts in particular and how that works kind of for a residence or a small commercial. Um, yeah, when you have solar, solar on your roof, typically the systems that you, if you drive around and you see folks that have solar on their homes, uh, currently most of them are what's called grid-connected systems. And so what that means is that they don't have a battery backup, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but most of them tend to be uh, grid-connected. Uh, and the reason for that is they're less expensive. Uh, most people, their grid connection is fairly reliable. And so what happens uh, on a sunny day, and I'm looking out my window, it's a sunny day today, uh, the solar panels will produce power for the home. And it is used directly in the house. I think some people have this impression that it goes out to the grid and it's kind of a mathematical equivalent. But it's, the power is actually being generated for your house uh, and providing, providing for your needs. If you turn on a dishwasher or a dryer or something that has, has a demand that's higher than what you, your solar panels are producing, um, the difference is provided by your utilities, so either Eversource or National Grid or a local utility. Um, at night, the power comes in from the grids. In the day, again, when the solar is strong, uh, if you're overproducing more than you need, uh, the power of the meter actually spins backwards. It's called net metering, and the power goes out to the grid. Uh, and in Massachusetts, they're very generous, and you get credit for that power. Uh, and it's basically at 100% unless your system is larger than, than most typical systems. And so that means, and for example, spring and fall tend to be good months because your household usage is not often very high and the sun is still quite good and powerful. And so very often in those months, people will overproduce. Uh, and it's tracked on a monthly basis. So if there's a couple days of rain or whatever, that doesn't really matter. But at the end of the month, uh, if you've produced more solar power than your house is needed, you win and, and you get a credit from the utility companies. And it's essentially at the retail rate that you would pay for the power coming in. Uh, if you look at an electric bill, there's a bunch of line items and they pull out the renewable energy charge, but it's a tiny fraction of your bill. So it's basically at the, at the, the full rate that you pay. Um, they don't send you that money, but it's left as a credit. So in uh, very often in those months you might accrue a credit, then maybe in January and February when the weather's pretty lousy, uh, you would go against that credit. So you wouldn't, even if you didn't produce enough solar power to meet your needs in those months, uh, you could use that credit first before being billed for any additional power. And then just one, a couple other quick things is there's a federal tax credit. Uh, it was at 30%. This year for 2020 is at 26% of the total cost. And then the state has a $1,000 tax credit. Um, and next year, that credit's going down for the federal credit to 22%. So a lot of these incentives are quite good, but they're gradually going down over time. Uh, and then the last incentive is uh, what's called the SMART program in Massachusetts, at least. Um, and that generates uh, income for you for the solar power you produce. So we actually install a separate meter that tracks how your solar system is working and it doesn't care if you turn on every light in the house or no lights in your house. It's regardless of that. Uh, it tracks how much solar power you've produced uh, per month. And with this uh, mass smart incentive and its solar mass renewable target is the acronym, uh, there's a sliding scale of what they pay you, uh, but it's around 10 cents a kilowatt hour right now. Uh, this is actually a, a, an actual uh, direct deposit to a bank account. So that's, that's real cash as opposed to a credit. Uh, and for residential, that's for 10 years that it generates income. 
So that's really one of the few things you can do on a house that's like an investment in that regard and that it's actually paying you while you're using it. And I did a lot of talking, so that's my overview. Yeah, so um, I, I did have one question about having a separate battery because I actually was reading an article, and this is from California, so uh, perhaps the systems are different there, but uh, during the blackouts and energy mm -hmm. issues there, uh, people were actually um, having the solar go to a separate battery and then in the evening using that to um, power um, their house. Mm -hmm. is, yep. is that like yeah, a no. different type of setup? Yeah, so that's the setup I described, which is grid connected. You can add a battery to that, and that's what you're describing. Um, and that's starting to become more popular in Massachusetts. It's starting to incentivize that. Uh, it has what's called the demand response program. Um, the reason in California that it's been more popular, I think, is that uh, even before the wild, wildfire issues, um, what happens there is their, their billing is based on time of use. So uh, in the afternoon between, I think it's 2 and 7 typically in California, your rates go way up. So in Massachusetts, for residences, they don't do that. They do it for commercial properties, but not for homeowners. Not yet. They may down the road. And so what happens is in California, if you can store up enough power in your batteries to just power your home from 2 to 7 p.m., even if the batteries are pretty discharged by the end of that, you're able to then buy the power at the reduced rate rather than at the highest rate. And that, that reduces the demand on the grid. So it, it's actually both helping you financially, but it's also helping the energy suppliers and the grid to not have to meet that peak demand. It's lowering the peak demand. Uh, Massachusetts, we're starting to install batteries. There are several different options. Uh, some of them are, are quite sophisticated in that uh, one system that we are familiar with, uh, actually a couple of them, the Tesla Powerwalls, people have often heard about. Uh, Sonen is a battery company out of Germany that uh, makes very good systems. And they've done stuff like small grids in Puerto Rico after the hurricane where something like 1,200 homes are tied together and are able to provide each other with power and share it when needed. So even if the state power goes down, uh, that 1,200 home microgrid can, can uh, give power. And so Massachusetts, that is becoming more po uh, popular. They are offering some incentives now. Uh, the prices are still high, but we do have some people doing that. And I think in the next couple of years, both the battery technology uh, will be improving and, um, and the cost will come down and, and more mm -hmm. people will be offering better options. So I think, I think it's a great thing to look at. I think in the next couple of years it will make a lot more sense. Okay. And I was just wondering, because there are some cloudy days and then there are also some very sunny days in Massachusetts. And I was wondering how much sun do you actually need for the solar panels to work? And also the efficiency mm -hmm. of the panels. And um, I know over the mm -hmm. years the efficiency has improved, but is there mm -hmm. anything um, to look out in the horizon that might be coming? Um, yeah, I think it well, was two things. I think they sort of continue to improve on a on a incremental scale, uh, sort of like computing technology is you know continuing to get faster and uh, costs are coming down both. Uh, that's been true for solar panels. Of course, when we read about some of the breakthroughs um, in newspapers and those kind of things, I think some of those are are pretty exciting, but they're probably further down the road, like ten ten years or something like that. Uh, right now kind of residential panels tend to be in the, the low end is 15 or 16 percent efficient, and the high end is 22, 23 percent efficient for solar panels. Uh, one nice thing is 
compared to the earlier days with solar power, they're uh, more resistant to shade. Uh, they work better even if it's in east or, or in uh, Boston area. So uh, south is an ideal orientation, but east-west uh, also works quite well when it may not have in the past because the panels are more efficient. Uh, there are some tracking systems that will will have the panels follow the sun. Uh, those are more efficient, but they're also more expensive, and you have moving parts. So there's a little bit of a conversation and trade-off with that regard. So most homes have have them on the on the roofs that are facing south or southeast or southwest or even east or west, uh, and they're very reliable. And they typically the the standard is a 25-year warranty on the panels, and they're rated with how their production will degrade over time. So kind of the standard is uh, they'll be at 80% of where, when they started out uh, after 25 years. Uh, mm -hmm. Their better panels will go up to 92%, which at SunPower I believe has the highest rating currently. Got it. Um, okay. Meaning that very little degradation over time. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think that's one thing you need to look out for when you're getting panels is the degradation that the panels could have mm -hmm. over time. Yep. I would say one thing in New England and, and other, other states near the oceans and stuff, um, while the warranties may all say they're 25 years, uh, some of them will exclude rust or corrosion. Uh, we personally have offices on Cape Cod and also in the Boston area, so rust and corrosion is a concern, so we would never sell panels that, that excluded rust and corrosion. I've actually seen one warranty that it said it the, pan the warranty is void if there's frost, well, you wouldn't want to use those oh. in the <laughs> Probably yeah. not even all the way down to Florida. I don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where you'd use yeah. them these days because every, every place gets frost. But Maybe the equator. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Central America, fine, yep. Yeah. And, um, and then have you heard about the solar roof? Is that um, an actual possibility for New England, or is that still um, under development? Uh, I think it is, and I think that Elon Musk in particular, but some other folks have, have modeled those, and there have been some that have been tried and were not so successful, or they didn't look so great. So uh, I know people aesthetically are, are hoping for solar roofs because that would look kind of seamless with the house. Um, I think um, Elon Musk's project, which is being tested out in California, has promised they look very nice. There's some concerns with uh, the number of interconnections. Every time you have multiple interconnections, there can be some concerns about that, but I think that they're making progress on that. Um, I think at some point uh, they'll be viable for New England. Clearly, uh, they have, they're testing mm -hmm. it in sort of more moderate climates first to see. Uh, and I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road all solar systems are sort of integrated into a roof in one way or the other. So that okay. it looks very nice and takes advantage of the whole surface mm -hmm. or as much of it as possible. Got it. And I think one of the things in New England specific may be the elements, uh, such mm -hmm. as snow or um, mm -hmm. ice on the roof. I don't know if that may be a consideration uh, for or against it. Yeah, I think that's one of the concerns, and they're testing it in California. But also in New England, you can have very sharp temperature extremes. So we could have 70 one day and go below freezing the next day, especially with climate change. And so they are worried about the interconnections, expansion, and contraction with those elements. So there is a lot of testing that has to be done to make sure that it's it's viable, especially it. for our, our, okay. our location. I think Cod, Cape Cod, you know, salt, salt spray and wind is an issue, and we, we look out for that as well. We do a, 
a wind and snow load analysis for every location. Got it. Okay. And um, I know also in this area, we have like a lot of condos and um, houses mm-hmm. that may share a roof. Could, could condos get a solar uh, project on the roof? And if so, how does that work? Yeah, there's sort of two answers to that. Smaller condos, especially if it's two or three units and all of the homeowners uh, agree, that tends to be less of an issue. Uh, If each unit has its own meter, uh, what tends to be more difficult just in terms of getting it organized is a larger condo. Uh, They're typically owned by a condo association and they own the roof. And so it can be more difficult to get the tax incentives and that sort of thing. There are I'm not a tax advisor, so there are ways to do that. And there are also power purchase agreements where instead of owning the system, um, an investor basically owns the system and then sells the solar power back to the condo association. Uh, Typically, owning it is a little bit better financially for the homeowner, but if you can't make it work or can't take advantage of the tax credits, then one of these other models might make more sense. Okay, uh, um, and and that kind of segues into um, uh, another question I had was, um, what are the advantages of owning versus um, leasing the mm-hmm. solar panels, just the pros and cons? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think early on when residential solar was being kind of pushed throughout the country, uh, almost all of those were lease models. Uh, and the argument was that, you know, it can be expensive up front to, to – to buy a system where at least there's no money out of pocket and basically, uh, like I mentioned, somebody, an investor company will own the system and then what's happening is the homeowner is buying the power that they're generated off of their roof but back at a reduced rate. Uh, So there is a savings there and you are going green so there there are some benefits there. Um, I guess some of the disadvantages are is the investors are getting all the tax incentives and all the state incentives as opposed to the homeowner. Uh, and also, typically, they tend to be 20 or even 25-year agreements. Um, so transferring that to a new homeowner or selling a home with that on it can just be a little bit more complicated. Uh, in terms of owning a system, there are loans now, and those have become more, more prominent. And so somebody could get a loan without any deposit at all, so there's no money to, to expend on that. And then the monthly payments for the loan, the nice part is that the homeowner gets the tax incentives and also the smart uh, Massachusetts incentive that generates income for 10 years. Uh, They pay their loan amount on a monthly basis, but often on a a house that has a good solar orientation, uh, the loan amount that they're paying monthly is lower than their combined savings and incentives coming in. And so you can actually have a great system and actually be making money every month with that. Got it. Uh, so, yeah. so, but if you don't, you know, if you have no tax appetite in terms of your, your income is so low that you can't take advantage of the tax credit, or for some other reasons it doesn't make sense to own it, then the lease is is the best option. But it's probably the third option, I would say. And in some towns, when okay. we've done a solar project, they've asked us not to offer the lease to the homeowners because they thought either the owner financing it themselves in some way through home equity or getting a loan with a, a fairly reasonable interest rate and no deposit is just okay. a, a much more better for the homeowner. Yep. Okay. And if um, let's say someone is renting in an apartment complex, is there an option for them to have solar energy as yeah. well? Yeah. I mean, typically there's not. Um, 
there's some new models that are coming out. But so typically, the owner, if the renter is paying their electric bill, uh, but the owner owns the building, then there's not that much incentive for the owner uh, to buy the system, other than that is good for the environment. And okay. uh, so there's benefit. Right. Um, but there are some models that are coming out now that are interesting in, in which uh, the owner and the renter split some of the incentives. And so the owner gets some benefit for putting in the solar, but also the renter reduces their electric bill in some ways. So I, those are kind of promising, and I think that's a great way because you do want as many buildings to use solar as, as they can. Got it. The reason I asked, I had met a lady who um, uh, was with a company, I, I believe they're based out of Cambridge. It's called Solstice. Essentially, it's for mm-hmm. um, people that lived maybe in a large apartment complex or a condo where they didn't have the option of having solar panels. So, mm-hmm. so I thought that was interesting, but yeah, I'm, that's a good I'm question. not sure fully how the yeah. model works. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how their model works, but in, in general, I think we should we should talk about community solar, and also community choice aggregation seems like a good um, moment to describe that. So uh, many of the towns in Massachusetts now are doing what's called community choice aggregation, which means that the town uh, goes out for bids for solar for electric power on behalf of their residents and usually small commercial properties. And what they try to do is they try to negotiate a better rate that's a little bit longer term than the utilities, which tend to change their rates every six months. Um, and also they try and include um, more renewable energy uh, or 100% renewable energy. So that's, that's a really attractive way. And typically the 100% renewable energy is a little bit more expensive than if you were to go to Eversource or National Grid, some of the standard uh, utilities. Uh, but often over time, they can actually uh, be at parity or even a little bit less expensive over the course of the, the agreement. And so I would encourage everybody, even if they can't get solar on their home, uh, if their town does have some kind of community aggregation program, uh, to look into that. Okay. And if you're comfortable, go for the 100% if, you, if you're comfortable doing that, even if it's a little bit more expensive up front. Uh, so that's one way. Uh, and also, there are a lot of people selling these kind of things, and I'd be a little bit more cautious about that. Uh, as somebody in the solar industry, I often will see people, and uh, they tend to target seniors, where they'll offer, call you up or ring your doorbell and offer you a lower rate and say, oh, we can beat uh, Eversource or National Grid, and here's this great rate, and people sign up for it. And then over time, as you're not paying attention, those rates can become pretty excessive. And so I would mm. just uh, urge caution for that. Um, Got it. Just to mention about the community, community, uh, the uh, community solar though that you mentioned is, there are opportunities where if some building has a large roof, an investor can put a large solar system on that roof, and and homeowners can buy a share of that power. And so maybe if there's 200 panels on there, maybe one homeowner could buy the power that 10 of those panels produce. And so okay. even if their even if their house or their renter wasn't viable they could have that green power. And it's nice because it's coming from locally. It's not maybe Correct, a, yeah. a, wind, a, wind, a windmill that's been running 30 years in, in uh, another state somewhere. So, yeah. so it does encourage, encourage new solar and renewable resources. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And uh, one thing about just uh, uh, community aggregation programs is I believe in our town, um, the 100% renewable is on par with uh, 
regular Eversource. So um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's interesting how um, towns can negotiate uh, rates that are very favorable when they come That's together. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so I was actually the one that got that through town meeting. We have a town meeting government here. Uh, and I think the first, uh, we did a 30-month agreement for that community choice aggregation. And the first six months of the 100% or even the first year of the 100% was a couple cents, two or three cents more than the basic rate with the utility, which is Eversource in our case. Uh, but then after that, uh, the rate was even lower than Eversource, even with 100%. And it was renewable energy coming from New England, wind, solar, uh, and so that, that turns out great. And so I think we've renegotiated a new contract. I just looked on the website a couple of days ago. Um, our regular cost, the, the aggregation cost is, is lower than the utility cost. And if you choose the 100% option, it's two, I think it's two or two and a half cents higher than that, but it's a 30-month agreement. And so I'm hoping that uh, soon it'll actually be a, a cheaper thing. And so for both environmental reasons and also for that 30, 30 months of kind of a fixed rate, I would encourage people to, to consider the 100% renewable if they can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, thanks for bringing that to town meeting. <laughs> yeah, uh, we weren't sure it would go by, but it did go through <laughs> unanimously. So it was, a good, it was a good thing. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, one question I had, we, we had our solar panels installed last year, and we've been very happy mm -hmm. with the panels. But mm -hmm. One thing I did notice is um, our panels were installed, I would say, end of June. They didn't go live until like mid to late August. So mm -hmm. it seemed like there was a lot of time when we could have been generating um, mm -hmm. renewable electricity that didn't happen. And, I think that there were some delays mm -hmm. with inspection, and I was wondering what other people could do just to avoid uh, delays. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and typically, it's about a three-month process. Every town is a little bit different, too, so just in terms of permitting and inspections, mm -hmm. uh, each town yeah. has their own process. And yeah, I think yours did take longer than it should have, and that, that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, also, I would say, uh, you know, if you get a solar system and you go live and November or even late October, uh, in this area, it's not going to produce as much as later on. And so don't be disappointed by that because all of the modeling is done over the course of the year. And also it's intended to last for, for years and years. So uh, in general, it should be a three, three and a half month process. Like I said, I'm not sure what happened in your case. I do think one thing that we ran into, and, and I think this was the case, um, is that when the state switched from their incentive program, which was called the SREC program, uh, that basically ran out of funding, and then they funded a new program that's called the SMART program, which I described, which pays on a monthly basis. Uh, but the utilities had to put in a meter for that, and they, had to, they were the ones who actually generated the cash that gets direct deposited to the homeowner's accounts and all of that. So all of those things during that transition took way longer than they should have. I think now they're, they've been Got going it. for a while, and that's all smoothed out. But even though the program went live, the utilities, and, and they're not that incentivized to, to be speedy about it. So, so there was a sure. lot of that. They didn't have the meters sometimes. I think they didn't know how to set up the billing so well. So I think, unfortunately, you probably got caught up in that more than anything. Got it. 
And, and as an installer, we can't push the utility there. You know, there are the, sort of these monolithic yeah. uh, organ, you know, outside of our control. But um, yeah, but uh, we're we're very happy with um, the panels. And um, I'm just curious. Do you know how many um, uh, households have solar in Massachusetts? Because everywhere I go, I see solar panels on roofs now. Yeah, so. <laughs> good question. I should have looked that up before we chatted. I've, it's been a long time since I've looked, so I don't know right now. But there are some maps that we could look, and I might be able to provide yeah. them to you or something. One thing we noticed in our town is that. We probably four or five years ago now did a solarized project, which was kind of a focused project to try and encourage solar uh, in the town. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they did about 40 or so homes, so not, not a huge amount. But ever since then, uh, uh, it's increased pretty dramatically. And I think certainly people talk to neighbors. They see the systems out there. They're much more inclined to take the word of a neighbor who's had it for a year or two than some solar sales guy talking to them. So. We've noticed yeah. that in all the towns that have done a solar project, it tends to go on even if the focus of that project has kind of finished. And that's been true. Uh, sure. you know, there's ones in, uh, all over and even on Cape Cod, we've done several there, and that tends to be the case as well. One thing I learned from having solar panels on our home is it, it still works even if you don't have the ideal roof or mm -hmm. even if that's there's right. some tree coverage. The panels still generate a lot of electricity and it was nice to see months where our energy bill was zero. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really satisfying. <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say about that is, if you know, some homes have big roofs and you can you can offset 100% of their needs, and sometimes we will actually design systems for more than 100%. If somebody knows in the next year or so or two, they might get an electric vehicle, then it might make sense to do that. Typically, you don't try to design over 100% too much because it's mostly a credit from the uh, utility, so you don't want to just accrue a credit that you're not going to be able to mm -hmm. apply against it. Uh, but I would say if somebody has either a larger home or electric heating and other things that, and their roof just isn't big enough to offset 100%, uh, psychologically there's something really nice about offsetting your whole electric bill as much as possible. But even if yeah. you're offsetting 50% 50, 50 of your bill and you do have a large electric bill, that's month after month and year over year, and that's a significant savings to you. It's, a, it's helpful to the environment in a significant way. And even though it may be a little bit less psychologically satisfying to stick it to the man as far as the utility company, uh, it, it is a great thing. And, and I'd encourage people, even if they, they look at solar and it turns out they can't do 100% of their needs, uh, if it's a reasonable amount and their roofs are, are uh, you know, efficient for solar, it still can make a really good sense to, to consider it. For sure, yeah. Um, can you just go over the um, the tax credits, uh, federal, state um, that are available now, and anything else we need that that you can tell us sure. that we should know about solar? Sure. So yeah, there, there's sort of five incentives right now for a homeowner, especially. Um, the first one is as soon as the system is turned on, basically once the inspection is completed and the utility puts in the net meter, which allows the meter to spin forward and backwards. They, the utility gives the final okay to turn on because you're connecting to the grid. Once your system is turned on, and you can just do that with a phone call, um, you're saving on your electricity. So you're buying less power than you would have otherwise from the utility because your, your solar system is providing as much as it can, can depending on the weather. So the first incentive is you're offsetting your electric bill. The second one is whatever you can provide with solar, you're, you're hedging against any inflation in the rates. 
Uh, we typically see rates anywhere from 2 to 5% uh, for the utilities. So if you're providing most or all of your power with solar, you don't really care what those rates do. And in 10 or 15 years, they could be double what they are today, and you're protected from that. So that's a nice incentive. Then the third one is the federal tax credit. It's 26% of the total system cost right now. Uh, if the system's installed after this year, 2020, uh, it goes down to 22%. So again, it's a decreasing incentive unless Congress changes it. Uh, and then the state has a $1,000 tax credit. And so both of these, both the federal and the state tax credit, uh, you'll get back uh, after having filed your, I'm not a tax advisor, but after having filed your taxes for, for this year, uh, as long as your tax liability was that amount or more, you would get those tax credits back the first year. If in some circumstances the tax credit was bigger than your taxes for the entire year, you'd get back up to that amount, but you don't lose the balance. It just gets carried forward is, is my understanding from, from tax advisors. Uh, and then the mm -hmm. last incentive was that SMART program that I mentioned from the state, which generates income for 10 years and it's on a kilowatt hour of solar power. Uh, one nice thing is systems scale pretty, pretty, pretty nicely in that uh, we can put in a small system with eight panels, and for some households that might be enough. And if people have um, like a big garage or a barn or something, we put in much larger systems. And while the, the cost of the system will go up, you're offsetting your larger electric bill with that increased size, system size, and you're also generating bigger incentives. The tax credit's larger and the smart income that's generated is larger. So they tend to work out you know, pretty consistently. And in fact, there's some economy of scale as they do get bigger. Uh, there's some economy of scale with that as well. Got it. Great. Um, thanks so much for your time. Uh, if we have more questions, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I can give you my email. Uh, it's djudelson, D-J-U-D-E-L-S-O-N, at bluecell, and that's spelled B-L-U-E-S-E-L dot -E -E com. Um, or I can give my cell number. It's 781-799-4743 if you want to reach me directly. Great. Thank you so Thanks, much, Dave, yeah. for talking to us about solar. Thanks. I appreciate the interest. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. So that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Musical credits go to Purple Planet, and the track is Feeling Good. <laughs>